Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, happy Sunday, and welcome to a seat at the table with Tessa Rose. Pull up a chair and join me at the table. I hope all of you had a great week thus far. We are beginning a new week, and I thought I would start off the week with the happiness song. It also plays into the theme of a course that I tried to take on Coursera called The Science of Well-Being that I'll briefly discuss later. So I decided to name this episode Happiness Is. And I thought about that song because I used to sing that song in elementary school, and I didn't realize it come from Charlie Brown or may have come from Charlie Brown. So I thought I'd start off, and I can't sing, of course. And I hope that the audio came through clear. I know my last episode I tried to play the Perfect Strangers thing, but it didn't come through like I want to because I play around with some of the sound effects. So hopefully that came through. So I have to work on my tech skills with the songs. But I was going to sing it, and I know you all didn't want to hear me sing. But my version that I learned in music class, you know, when they had music in school back in the good old days, and we were saying happiness is two different ice creams, finding your skate key, getting along, and happiness is playing. 
know, I know, I know. I try to make it, you know, a little better, but hopefully I didn't turn you all away or, you know, you're not throwing up your hands on your ears. <laughs> but I love that down, and I found it on the website. And, you know, of course, Charlie Brown and them is singing it. And our version that we sung in school was a little upbeat. So I thought that that would be a good intro. This episode is sponsored by our sponsor, CH Consulting Services. If you are a business owner, corporation, et cetera, especially for you entrepreneurs or small business owners, if you have your business and you haven't registered with the state or have your business license and things of that nature and you need to set up a bank account, and I hope. I hope you are not mixing your business account with your personal account. That is a no-no. You need to contact our sponsor, CH Consulting Services, at www.chconsultingservicesllc.com. Go over there on the website. They will help you with those things. If you're not knowledgeable, they'll give you the knowledge, lead you across the way. But please be registered. Please have your business license if it's applicable and do all that registration. Make sure you have your federal EIN number and, you know, separate those accounts so they can help you and guide you and give you training. And if you have staff members, there's training that CH Consulting Services that can help you get your brand and your image to the next level. So those, shout out to our sponsors, have to pay some bills with that. So our book recommendation for this episode, I went back and forth about which book did I want to, you know, recommend for this episode. And I settled on A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khalid Husseini, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly, but I will post it to my social media page. So I recommend that book for this episode. It's a great book. Um, It gives you a lot of insight into the Afghan history and also how women in other countries are treated and sort of some of the similar things that they may have, they may go through, or some of the things where they're not even up to speed to, to, you know, American culture and forms of women's rights. So go read that book if you have not, Splendid Sons by Khalid, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly, Hosseini. So I gather that everyone got their stimulus checks if you apply and it hit most accounts on March the 17th. There was a little ruffle in the streets about, you know, when the federal government did send it, send the money out or the U.S. Treasury. And those, some people begin to see direct deposits um, as early as March the 12th, I believe, pending. Some was pending in their account. So banks like, big banks like Wells Fargo and Chase and things of that nature, they were coming under the gun with their customers because some smaller credit unions and smaller banks were giving their customers the money right away as soon as they got the money. But Wells Fargo and Chase and a lot of other, like Bank of America, they were holding the money because the money was intended to drop until March the 17th, which was last Wednesday. So some people was like, why we're not getting our money, why is it pending, why is it still in our account, and everybody was going back and forth, and Wells Fargo made some statements on that social media that actually the money is not, you know, should be deposited until the 17th. It's sort of like the scenario of someone giving you a post-dated check for March the 17th, 
but you can't cash it before then. I guess that was the notion, but people were still up in arms like, you're a big bank, you have the funds, you can cover it, it's guaranteed money, et cetera. So, you know, that was interesting to see people going back and forth and, you know, claiming that they were going to close down their accounts like Wells Fargo and move to credit unions and other small accounts. The time, that app was like boasting, like, you have your money. Their smaller, like, bank app and cash app, I believe, were giving people their money early. So, you know, some people are a little impatient, but hopefully most people got their money on March the 17th, and it's kind of like calm now that everybody got their big bucks <laughs> and spending it the way or saving it how you want to. I don't have any insight. I do, I do not like for people to pocket watch what other people do with their money. You should be spending it on this. You should do that. Say, that's none of your business. That's that that person's money. That's my thing. When I hear people say, I'm like, that's none of your business. Unless that particular person directly affects you, like, in, like for example, my, my children, that, that directly affects me. Their financial decisions directly impacts me because if they make the wrong decisions or poor financial decisions, then they're calling mama for money. But when you, you know, I don't really know those people out there or you, you're not calling me. I'm not putting a bill for your poor financial decision. So that's how I see it. If it's not directly impacting your pocket, your bank account, you shouldn't be telling people what they need to do with their money. Let people do what they want with their money. If they want to blow it all over on some crab labs and lobsters, that their business. That's none of your business. So I don't like when people pocket watch and tell people what to do, what and what not to do with their money, unless it directly affects you. And most time it doesn't, right? So there's that. <laughs> so this, last week I decided to um, take a, you know, Coursera has free courses online that you can take a wide range of universities from Yale, Harvard, University of Pennsylvania, everywhere, University of Michigan, Michigan State, what have you. They offer free courses in different areas, business, health, uh, tech, anything science, psychology, that you can take courses for free. Yes, it's free. You sign up and you take the course and you go through, um, it's, it's broken down into weeks and you go through it and, you know, you listen to a lecture's um, via video, and you do some required reading assignments, um, and then you take like tests or quizzes. So I decided to, you know, enroll into the Science of Well-Being course. Now, this course is a combination of lectures via video and questionnaires. There's no homework, but there are these rewiring assignments that they want you to do throughout the week. Something such as like pick one thing you like, such as taking a walk, reading a book, et cetera. And do and each day you will write down, you know, how that experience made you feel for, you know, a certain amount of time. And then there's another um the next week it'll be like gratitude is different topics. You would do something like do something nice for someone for seven days a week. You'll journal that and then you'll reflect on how that made you feel or some insight. So um, in addition to that, you do have uh, quizzes and they were for this assignment, for this course rather, it was just multiple, course, multiple um, choice questions. You didn't have to do any, like, writing samples or anything of that nature. And I didn't want to take any class where you had to do writing samples. Some classes you had peer reviews. 
and they may be a little more challenging. I just wanted something where I can just listen, read, and just answer multiple choice questions. So this course started off well for me, the science of well-being, you know, the myth of happiness, what it does it takes to be happy, and things that you can do to possibly shape your happiness. At the beginning, you take a survey a pre-survey of your happiness level. It gives you a score. You write that down and remember. And then at the end of the um, session when you finish, you'll take another questionnaire. You'll kind of measure your happiness to see how well you did throughout the course. And the other thing, you can work at your own pace. You know, um, I started it March the 12th, which was last Friday. You can do each week at your own pace. But um, as I got into it, the rewirement assignments, I didn't feel like writing down anything in a journal and committing to that part. So because I didn't want to commit fully, I decided to unenroll. And then I searched around on on a website to look for something that's a little more my speed for right now. And I decided to enroll in a course, and it was given by Yale. So I'll circle back. The Science of Well-Being class course is also um, con- given by a um, professor at Yale. So if you ever wanted to go to the Ivy League schools, you know, off record, you can enroll in courses at Yale and Harvard. You can get a certificate of these um, courses. It costs $49 if you want to take that route. But um, so that's like another pick-me-up. You want to do something to pique your interest and you'll say, I did attend Yale through my computer or my phone and here's my certificate to show it for the course. But I decided to drop the science of well-being and then I enrolled in a course called Moralities of Everyday Life. And it's like a psychology class. It's taught by Professor Paul Bloom. He's very, you know, he's very good. His voice is not monotone. You, I, I can listen to it and I can keep up with the course. Some, you know, some professors, their voices might not, you know, might not get you excited or insightful and you, it, the, the course would kind of drag or the lecture. But this course, The Moralities of Everyday Life, explores the psychological foundation of our moral lives address questions such as how can we explain kindness and cruelty? Where does our sense of right and wrong come from? Why do people so often disagree about moral issues? So it was really an insightful course. And I actually started that course, I believe, Monday, last Monday, which was, what, the 15th, 12th, 13th, which I hope it was March the 15th. And I actually finished the whole course. It was broken down to six weeks. And I actually finished this course, I believe, last Thursday. So I began to like it. I would, you know, all, and it was, again, it was just the videos, the required readings weren't that much. Um, there were some TED Talks that you had to view in the, um, in the quiz. You just had the multiple choice quiz, which was about 20 questions, one point each. And um, you could try again if you failed. And the good thing was you could take the quiz and either have it up on the screen while you're doing your readings and when you see the question that's in the quiz, you can mark that off or you could print the quiz out and have that as a guide as you're reading and viewing the lectures because that's where your um, quiz questions come from. So that was helpful in helping to um, pass the quiz on the first try. You needed an 80% to pass the quiz. So, again, it was broken down to six weeks. Um, took about, for each week, maybe you could spend about two hours. It would fluctuate the first week wasn't that intensive because it's just introductory, some household things. So you might spend maybe two hours reading and listening to lectures. And one week you may, another week like week two or week three, it might be three hours and some change. But overall, 
wasn't that long, not a lot of commitment um, as far as time. So I was able to finish that within a week. So that was exciting, and they send you an email and say, congratulations, you could upgrade and get your certificate. But I didn't need the certificate for that course. So I think I might search around again and look for certain courses. I try to take some courses that's out of the realm of what I'm used to. And that's why I started off with the science of well-being, about just happiness, um, you know, just to get something else, you, you know, get your feet, get my feet wet in some other areas. But they do have business courses. They do have, you know, information technology courses and some project management and things that get a little more challenging. But for me, I just wanted something to, you know, just I can read, I can, you know, listen, and I can just answer some multiple choice questions, do some elimination if I, I, if I mix, miss that in a lecture or the reading. So I just wanted something real easy and mild right now. I didn't want to get into anything intensive. And there is a discussion forum that you can post questions, and the other people that's enrolled in a class, you know, may discuss certain topics. I believe for dismoralities of everyday life, there's like a high percentage of people that, that are enrolled, like maybe 100,000 people that are enrolled and taking the course. So I thought that was helpful. It, you know, really gave me something to pique my interest. I'm always looking around trying to do something different. So that works. So hopefully I'll find something. I don't know if I will have any time to do anything this week. And again, you can work at your own pace because I started maybe Monday and the week six ended around April the 28th, something like that. They do have the due dates for the quiz that is due. It's due by like 11.59 p.m. for that day. But I was able to work ahead. And the funny thing is you get these pop-ups from the screen that say, well, on average, most people finish this within an hour. You you need to keep on pace. And I'm like, what? Who are you talking to? Like, don't tell me how long I'm supposed to take to do this week. And, you know, they'll say on average, most people fail this quiz the first time it takes them um, two or three times to um, pass this quiz. And I'm like, really? Like, the pop-ups is really making me mad because it's, oh, be ready to dedicate this amount of time. On average, most people dedicate this amount of time to the to the um, course. And I'm like, this is not for real. I don't have to dedicate that time. But that was funny for that to pop up on my screen while I was, you know, navigating this informal course at Yale, you know, the moralities of everyday life. So if you get a chance and if you're interested, you can go to org and play around and join for free, or you can even join through one of your social media pages if you don't want to take the time and create an account and make another password. That thing gets annoying because you just have all these passwords. So I, I think I signed up through my – used my Facebook, and I was on, so – yeah, so that was some some good, interesting things that I did. Signing up for the courses, again, the Science of Well-Being, that's one of the popular courses, out of all of them on there now. And the professor, it is upbeat. I like her voice, but the assignments, I just couldn't dedicate to it. And, I, and even the first, I did take the first quiz and pass. And one of the questions on the first quiz was, did you do your rewirement assignment? So, you know, it's like that, uh, you know, integrity on a code thing. And I'm like, I picked no. The answer was not right or wrong, but no, I didn't do it. So I'm like, if that question is on the next couple of, it'll be always no. And I don't feel that I'm committing correctly. So I did, I unenrolled. Like, I think I stayed in that course for until Saturday, the next day, maybe one day, and I unenrolled. So, there's that. 
But if you want to do something else, I know other people have other hobbies. So that's something you possibly could get into. So that's what I did with my week. So I thought I would share. And that also the happiness theme for the show came from the science of well-being because it talks about our happiness. And um, so I decided to name this episode Happiness Is. But what I really wanted to get into this episode is um, – a financial advice and financial literacy because with the stimulus checks coming out and I talked to a couple of people, I didn't talk to more than half the population, but I know this kind of extends generally um, for certain people and I'm listening to people and they're trying to figure out, you know, are they going to get the stimulus? Did they qualify? You know, Wednesday come and I spoke to some people, not a lot again, but they, I didn't receive it. I don't know where it's at. And, you know, this is the third stimulus. So I found that kind of odd that some people don't have the knowledge of knowing when your money come in. I'm I'm big on any money that's coming to me or due to me, I, I need to know when it's coming, how I'm getting, et cetera. You should know. You should not be left in the dark. And you should know the tools and resources on how to figure out if you qualify and when it's coming. So, you know, by this being the third stimulus, there is that IRS tool where you put in your information and it will tell you if, you know, how you'll get your money, when it's coming and expect it. So I'm kind of like blown back when I talk to some people that they still didn't, with the third stimulus, they, I don't know, unless, you know, some people they don't want to tell you, they don't have to tell you. I'm not asking. They'll just call and say, I didn't get my stimulus, and I'm like, why? Most people I know receive their stimulus. So I thought I would talk about, you know, just briefly about some financial advice. And, again, when it's your money and your income, no matter how you receive it, if it's your wages, your self-employment or your unemployment, you know, or your benefits, whether it's your retirement, pension, your disability benefits, you should know everything about your money, no matter how you receive it. You should know how much you're getting, when you expect to receive it, like are you, when you get paid, are you paid weekly, biweekly, monthly, et cetera. When does it come? You know, that way that helps you manage your money and helps you manage your budget. Now, managing a budget may be easier for some than others, but managing a budget does not mean you have to have a lot of money or a large income, right? You don't have to. You learn to manage and budget the income you have, no matter how small or how large your income is. And for those who do not have the ability to manage your your own finances due to something out of your, you know, your condition or whatever, like a disability, et cetera, or you may have some cognitive issues, then this, you know, part of the episode would be for the person who's handling your money or the beneficiary who is managing someone else's money, whether it be your relative, a client of yours, a spouse, a partner, et cetera. Someone should know how to manage and budget the money coming in, such as banking, you know, banking. Some people have no knowledge of how banking works, right? You should know such things as the fees, overdraft fees, any minimum balance requirement needed to keep up your account, transfer fees. You should know this because you, when you're banking, right? Um, these are some things I find talking to some people they don't know. And I'm just like, how do you not know about your money? 
Why do you have such a poor relationship with money? So that's, again, the reason why I decided to focus mainly on um, this in this episode, because um, I hope that this would help people and get you to think about your finances and your financial conditions differently because, you know, you have to get that in place. You just, you just cannot be sitting around and not knowing when money is due to you, when it's coming, when, when to expect it, et cetera, or whoever else is handling someone else's money. You should be able to manage and budget that person's money correctly because a lot of us do, we don't have any financial literacy. And I'll talk about, you know, people talking about the school should have, you know, have it in school and what you learn at home, but that's not the case for, you know, most of us or most people, or you wouldn't have the issue with like marginalized and low income communities, you know, they are, you know, sort of under bank. And then you hear about those statistics that says that, you know, generally over half people, of the population don't have enough in case of emergency. They don't have, what, $1,000 in their bank account or $500 in emergency funds. So that's another reason why I wanted to speak on this. As I'm speaking to people and hearing, they don't know that the stimulus is coming and how it's coming and don't know how to check up on how to see where, where it is, and this is the third stimulus. So, you know, with banking, again, you should know the fees involved with your bank account, all types of fees. And in the case of the stimulus, some people did not know if they were receiving the money. Um, some people I spoke to were on retirement and disability benefits, and I understand there may be another process. But, again, this was the third stimulus. So it's possibly for those people, I'm just talking about the people with the retirement and disability benefits, things do happen. Um, they received the first two, so you probably should have received the third. So, um Again, you could check the IRS website and put your information in, and it will let you know about that third stimulus. So that's why I kept telling some people, but they kind of made it kind of challenging, like that was out of the room. Um, so I was like, you can check that tool. I even sent the link to some people and say, hey, put your information in there, and that's how you can check whether you're, um, where your stimulus is and how you expect, when you should ex- expect it, right? And there are also resource or should be some resource centers in your communities that are not predatory, but will assist you with obtaining and protecting your financial information. For example, here I'm talking about like the tax preparation services for low-income individuals where they will prepare your taxes for free. So, you know, people, you know, those centers are out there, but sometimes some people don't know the information because they're not researching. They may have other things in life that's going on, and they don't have time to think about that. So it is helpful when you have somebody who is proactive and supportive and not trying to scam you and take your money. I'm not talking about those things here. I'm talking straightforward about your money without the scams, about your money and how you live on your budget and pay your bills and maintain and able to buy food. There has to be some consistency and some normalcy there without, yeah, we know people get scammed, but throughout your life, the majority of the time, I hope you're not being scammed. And I'm talking about the greater part of your life and your financial situation where you have to 
take a handle on your financial situation and learn some household things, even starting today or tomorrow, starting as soon as possible to put you in a better financial position. And it don't necessarily mean you're going to have all this money because if you can't manage your um, finances on a small income, you're still going to have problems managing it on a larger income. So some people think money will solve all their problems. It will solve some of your problems. But if you are poor at managing money, when you have a low income and a little bit of money, you will carry those same characteristics. You're, you're not going to have like a million and a billion dollars and automatically you know how to manage your money correctly. And we see this in what? When people win the lottery, right? We see that. So it's the sense of learning some discipline and learning it now on how to, you know, take care of your financial household needs. So, um, Again, wanted to touch on that because um, it kind of disturbed me that people didn't, you know, still, and at, at the certain age of some of the people that I talked to, they were older, and sometimes our elderly population, um, you know, they have other issues, and it's nice, you know, we have to have something out there to help, or whoever is taking care of your benefits, have that person at, need, at least knowledgeable. So, um Again, I talked about the stimulus and checking the IRS website and putting that information in. I did send that out to the few people that I talked to to possibly help them along the way. Um, and some people say finance, financial literacy should be taught in schools, and I agree. And I'm not aware of what they teach in schools nowadays or how recently in the last couple of years, but I do know, and I'm older. I'm not going to say how old, <laughs> but I was taught financial literacy in high school at the least that I can remember. And, you know, we learned, we had a business sector in our um, in my high school, and we learned accounting, like basic accounting, how to manage a bank account. We learned about what is a credit, what is a debit. So I went to public schools, right? I didn't go to private school. I went to public schools, city public schools. So I'm not sure people realize that in schools it's a possibility that some of what you're talking about is being taught. You know, um, even in lessons, for example, in math class or advanced math classes, algebra, et cetera, um, we learned about the home buying process through word problems, consisting of calculating the principal, down payment, and interest on a, on a home. So in a sense, the financial literacy was there for some of us, okay, depending on where you went to school. But if you think back, you, you might, this might light up some things for you because in word problems you have those type of scenarios and there's a thing of putting things in practice so we i also learned about opening up a bank account and i understand some individuals have difficulty doing this for several reasons because now you know banks check your credit and some people have poor credit and things of that nature which you know inhibits their ability to bank and that that's why we have like a good great part of our population across the United States that are what we call underbank, right? And there are a lot of other options today than they were in previous years to open bank accounts. So today we have like non-traditional banks, as I'll call them, such as Cash App, Vimo, and PayPal, Chime, you know, those sort of banks that were giving their people the stimulus money right away as soon as they were receiving it. So you do have access to other areas if you can't get a traditional bank account. And I'll also share that some of the school systems, depending on where you live, um, I know with my kids, what I was able to do, because my kids went to school in that county, there was a, a partnership with the county schools and the credit union, 
And if your child went to school in that county, you could open a bank account in your child's name or the, if anybody in that family for $5, you know, each bank account. So that could be an option. You know, check sometimes, you know, when the newsletters, you know, we're in the age where they call. But in my day, when my kids were going to school, newsletters would come home. I'll read the newsletter and there will be, oh, open your child a bank account. $5 just minimum just to open open the account. $5 for checking, $5 for savings. They're young. They're in elementary, middle, high school. Open the account. That way when they get 18 and adult, they have a bank account. They can switch it from a custodial account under you, and they can switch it over to their own account. And you also, by you being a parent, you can also open an account with the credit union or the particular bank. So if you didn't know that, you know, those things that people need to know or kind of pay attention to because um, sometimes our schools get, you know, a lot of gripe about not doing this, and they sometimes they do it, and you just have to pay attention. Like I said, it was in a newsletter uh, or it be, you know, in a newsletter or, you know, some type of, you know, call, and they'll say, or the website. So you have to look out for those things. So that's another avenue for you to get a bank account, and you, you don't necessarily have to have a great credit score, and you can get you, your children, your grandchildren, and a lot of people directly in your family a bank account, especially with the credit union, and that will be helpful. So um, all that will help you, you know, help manage your finances, and, you know, budget takes discipline. So that takes you know, sometimes, you know, we, you know, most of us probably had some times where you didn't have that much money and you have overdraft fees and you just making it, you know, that paycheck to paycheck. But then you, it takes discipline and, you know, for you to sit down and decide budgeting your money and, you know, cutting out some things of that nature so get a handle on your finances and put you in a better financial position in the future. So you're not going to start off with this great financial guru, right? You know, especially like with our kids, we hope they grow up and they don't make all these financial mistakes because then, you know, sometimes in my, like in my situation, then you have to help them, you know, well, I, I, I will hope I want to help them. I'm not going to, you know, just feed them money because I don't have money like that. But you sort of sense want to help them in, in certain needs. They might need gas money because they spent all their money and they don't have gas money or they don't have bus fare or they don't have lunch money, things of that nature, the little things, right? We're not talking about big things um, at this point. But you want to put yourself in a financial situation so you'll be able to help those people who need your support and also maintain um, financial situation for yourself. So um, it's always great to know what's going on, then whoever you bank with, how you get your money, how fast, because it also plays into how fast you can get your money, how fast you can pay some bills, how fast you can, you know, get things done. But if you're sitting around waiting on money that's due to you and you don't know when it's coming, when you're supposed to get it, and you have things waiting on it, bills or, you know, educational things for your child or the children need clothes, then you're just always in a limbo. And that's just not a great place to be the majority of times in your life. Things should happen like that maybe once in a while, but for this to happen consistently when it comes to money. And I, I just wanted to touch on having a good relationship with money, not having like this poor relationship with money. You know, as we go through life, we have relationship with people, um, significant others, you know, with your coworkers, with your neighbors. And I think one of the one things you shouldn't want to have a bad relationship is with money. You want to try to keep that as good as you can. And you have control of that, unfortunately, and you have to learn some discipline. 
um, as needed. But Again, we know that we're not talking about the people that have, you know, cognitive issues and they're not able to take care of their funding. And I'm speaking to the people that are cognitive enough to learn some financial literacy. And if you're taking care of other people's finances, I will hope you're doing the best and you have you are really financial literate that you're not messing up someone else's money because uh, that that wouldn't be great. So. We talked about, you know, the non-traditional, the cash app, the Vimo, the PayPal, and the Chime. They're quicker, you know, easier process um, if you have access to a phone and you get the app or go to the website. So, you know, the good thing about these days, we have more options. About 10, what, 20 years ago, we didn't have all these options. You didn't really have the cash apps, et cetera, um, to, to bank with. So it's, it's getting easier in a sense for some of us to, you know, get banking and manage our money. So, you know, all in all with the finances, you have to know how credit and debit works, right? If you use that option when you use your bank card, you have to, like, like some transactions do not post to your account the same day of the purchase, and your balance may reflect more than you have to spend. So you need to learn the difference between your overall balance and your available balance. You need to keep track of your spending so you know all transactions that are to be posted or any outstanding fees in your account. If you have the bank app, which is um, kind of good if you're not, not taking up too much space on your phone or wherever, then sometimes this can help because some ledgers on the bank app show pending transactions and will give you a total balance and available balance. So you can gauge what you possibly have left. And sometimes, um, depending on who you bank with, on the when you go to the ATM, your um, receipt, sometimes that will show your total balance and your available balance. Because I think when it shows your total balance, some people get it mixed up and say, oh, I have this much left, but there is not showing the stuff that's pending. So it's, it's good to, you know, go into or call into your um, – bank line and listen to a couple of transactions, or again, use the bank app and you get to see what's pending, and you already know that's included in the total balance, but your available balance is your available balance. So, you know, some people, they be worried about scams, and this is valid. You know, some banks have protections. That's another thing. When you're banking, you want to research and possibly pick the best bank that's protecting your money. And I've spoken to some people recently, and they say, well, they scam and they take your money, and I'm like, but your money is secure. Do you have, like, I think your money is secure up to, what, $250,000 in the bank? So if it's legitimate, and even if someone else scams you and the bank can prove it, you know, your money should be safe and they should, you know, reimburse you your money, right? Everything's not easy. But in a sense, you if you have over $250,000 and stuff like that, I probably would be worried. But I'm quite sure at that stage you'll be a little more financially cognizant and know how things work. So, you know, if you're scammed for whatever reason and the, and the bank does the investigation, your money should be returned. I know there will be some other horror stories. They didn't do this, but, you know, people don't always give you all the details in that scenario because sometimes you'll ask them this and they'll say that, and then it gets, you know, then you go down this rabbit hole, right? But otherwise, the bank protects your money, and you and then you also can sign up for notifications. You can sign on your um, account, and you can be notified for certain suspicious transactions or get alerts anytime something is credited or debited from your account, right? If you're worried about it that much, you can, you know, every dollar that comes out, the bank will, you know, alert you and let you know. So, again, it's probably good to research 
what you know what bank you want to go with as far as protecting your money no matter no matter how much money in your account if you have a dollar and 15 cents that needs to be protected right so your bank also know your habits i don't think anybody you know most people notice your bank knows your habits just like our phone knows our habits that's why we have the pop-ups so the bank you know they view your history and they see how you spend and how your what income comes in like your paycheck they know your paycheck may come in bi-weekly on a friday the bank knows that they know that you shop at Walmart a lot and Target and certain markets, right? They learn your history, your financial history, and your habits. So sometimes if a suspicious purchase hits your account, the bank will stop it. You know, my, my credit union does that. They contact me and they confirm that I'm making this purchase because that's not in my history right now. And I have received phone calls or emails where they stopped the payment on something. One, one time I was booking a hotel room and they stopped the payment until I confirmed it, and then they released the funds, right? So, again, that's a part of um, researching the bank and know that the bank is doing the best they can to stop bank fraud because it's going to affect them, too, because they have to reimburse you your money, right? So you try to learn some protections of what your bank, you know, ask them, you know, what are protections, what, are your, what do you do for bank fraud, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, you can go through the co confirmation of who sent the co correspondence or asking for verification. You can always call your bank if it's on a weekend. You know, there's just protocol. Everything doesn't have to be scam-wise. But my rule of thumb is never let anyone know how much money you have. The more they know or think you have, the more they ask. That's my opinion. I tell my children that. If you say you have $20,000, guess what? somebody going to call you with $20,000 worth of problems. <laughs> and then it's like the, the more money you have, the more they ask for. If you just say, oh, I have $500, they might call you for $100 $200. But when you start saying you have, like, all this money, you know, you want to brag. You should be able to brag sometimes. But, frankly, it's none of nobody's business how much money you have. So if you want to brag about the money you have in your account, I just say don't. It's not anyone else's business about your finances unless we're not talking about, like, your spouse or your partner or, you know, who you share accounts with and stuff of that nature. It's like other people. It's really none of their business. So people can be so intrusive about how much you make, did you receive the stimulus, how much you get. Then, they, then when you tell them, when you answer their questions, they start questioning you about what you said because it's not adding up for them. Like, none of your business. Don't keep questioning me. Well, you should have did this and you should have did that. Again, none of your business. And I also want you to take this last tip for finances, misinformation. You know, again, misinformation about the stimulus, misinformation about your pension, misinformation about disability benefits does more harm than good. People like to give advice of what they heard, this and that, and they'll tell you what you're supposed to be getting. They know somebody who got it that way and stuff like that. And I'm just like, lies. It don't even add up. The math is not mapping, you know, as they say. There are stipulations and guidelines that they fail to mention most of the time. They leave a lot of things out that make it seem like, oh, this person did that. And actually, when you go through the, you know, the process, it's nothing like that, right? So it doesn't necessarily generalize to everyone else what happened to, in another person's situation. So remember that. It's just situational. So, again, I hope those financial tips were uh, beneficial and helped some people along the way to learn to get a hold of that financial household, get you some financial literacy, and get some discipline on managing and budgeting. And, again, as always, when it comes to your money, no matter what it is, you should know 
when it's coming, how much it is. You should not be like, I don't know, and they supposed to send this. That should not be happening because that's your money. It's not, we're not talking about money people loaning you, like your income, your unemployment, your disability benefits, your pension or retirement, your wages that you go to work and you work. You should know that. And it's a funny story was that my son, my youngest son, just started working. And I said, when do you get paid? And no, I'm not being nosy, being his business and what is money. You know, I'm teaching him some financial literacy. When do you get paid? He just started the job. He said, I don't know. Who starts a job and don't know when they get paid? Do you get paid weekly, biweekly? I don't know. Do you get paid on Friday, Wednesday? I don't know. So I think I better make him listen to this episode because he's a prime example. He didn't know when he was getting paid, how much he was getting paid. He just started a job in limbo like he's rich. You're not rich. <laughs> so it's a prime example. You And I tell him, you should know these things because how are you going to head a household when you're older and, you know, hopefully get a family or wife and kids and you don't know anything? You you start now and it prepares you for the future. You just don't drop into a household with a family, with a wife or a husband and kids, and then you become this financial genius. You know, it takes time, right? So that's like a quick story. <laughs> you know, my own son just did not know when he get paid or when he's supposed to get paid. Or, you know, they sent him a link to the website and he didn't know how to. I'm like, you go through the website and it tells you the pay date. It gives you information. So stuff like that, the information sometimes is at your fingertips and you have to just get there and use it. Use the resources that are, that are available to you. Don't be scared of money. It's your money. Please get a better relationship with your money. And I'll see you next Sunday at a seat at the table with Tessa Rose. Pull up a chair and join me at the table. Have a great week.